Hello and welcome to yet another episode of Diminishing Returns, the weekly show that tells you about films that we've watched or something, whatever our, whatever our thing is now. Uh, so, <laughs> I, hello, hello, I'm Alan, and over there with me as always is Sol. You rang. <laughs> I did ring you, Sol, about ten minutes ago when we when we first started. Uh, yes, I sounded more like like awesome well or something man that didn't work <laughs> uh, yeah so what were you trying to do an impression of this all lurch the butler oh no lurch the butler from the adams family yeah i believe you know i believe he improved that line and it made them all laugh i think he was just meant to be mute originally he is the in, in the film you're talking about the tv series in the 60s because in the films does he not say you rang in the films at all Lurch is mute. No, no, not at all. Oh. He is mute. Yes. Well, there you go. I did. I did rewatch two of these films. Oh yeah. <laughs> um, but obviously, oh, it's all it's all blurred into one. Alan. Well, let's hang on. Let, let's just uh, break down what we're doing. So we're looking at the Adams family primarily because they're doing a new Adams family film. We'll talk about that later. But yeah. basically, a little bit of background. Adams family was started out as a series of. Uh, cartoon comic strips comic strips yeah by charles adams in the new yorker alan you might not know this about me but i have a number of framed pictures and things around my flat it's it's very well decorated i have a david bowie rise and fall of ziggy stardust album cover poster i i have a a painting of a t-rex i did (laughs) uh i have uh, a, a still frame from an episode of Futurama that I printed out. Not not an animation style. Is it a good frame? Not made of money. What is it? What does it show? It is. Uh, if you're <laughs> if you're this much of a nerd that you'll know it, it's a shot from an episode where there's a little tiny planetoid that they're on, and they run all the way around it, and there's like a shot of the planetoid, and everyone stood on it in silhouette, and it's just very nice. I thought, oh, I'll have that. Okay. If you know what episode of Futurama that is, call in and win a record. <laughs> we've got that's a that's a that's a record as in the world record for first person to call in doing it you're not gonna first person to call into a show that has no phone number <laughs> <laughs> yeah um my favorite probably picture on the wall is uh an old classic charles adams adams family cartoon from the new yorker oh. all blown so up. which one have you got I've got the one they adapted into the opening sequence from the first Adams Family film, the one of uh, Christmas carolers singing, and uh, the Adamses up on the top of the house with a, a boiling thing of oil oh, about to oh, pour oh. it over them. I didn't know there was such a direct reference in the film. I didn't know. Yeah. So okay, yeah. if you you clearly know your history of the Adams Family, yeah. so why don't you? Tell us the where it where it came from. Go on, you do you do the the storytelling. Well, yeah, yeah. The point I was making is that I I am a fan, I suppose, and I have seen every single episode of the 1964 Adams Family sitcom, oh, yeah. which is, I think, often forgotten. I think most people below the age of most people who uh, were kids in the 90s just know of the Adams Family as yeah. oh yeah, it's that Angelica Houston movie. Yeah, yeah. Or, oh yeah, Adam's Family Values. How hilarious. I love the second one's the best one. Oh, it's so funny. <laughs> Stop giving away. It's partly true of myself. I probably first came to these guys from the tie-in 1990s cartoon show that they made yeah. to tie in with those films. Um, 
but no, I, I, I'm, I've seen most of the Adams Family stuff that's out there, uh, as well as the monsters. I don't know if we're going to touch on the monsters this week or if we'll save it for a monsters episode. <laughs> Who knows? Basically, to me, the definitive version of the Adams Family is the 1964 sitcom. I mean, frankly, the, the films we're talking about this week, the Adams Family movies, they are the equivalent of the Ben Stiller, Starsky and Hutch movie. <laughs> yeah. Dwayne The Rock Johnson, uh, Baywatch. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's a TV show revival. It's a, a, hey guys, remember this? And that is literally what it is. Scott Rudin, the producer, uh, the story goes, he was on the, I'm going to say the Warner Brothers movie lot. It could have been any movie lot. I don't know. <laughs> And apparently he and some other people that were driving from one set to another started humming the theme tune, and it was that classic, you know, they all start singing along and do, go doodle-doo-doo, bum-bum. Uh, and he thought, huh, there's still a real nostalgia here for this property. Let's do a film cashing in on it. <laughs> Fair enough. That's what makes him the big money producer, you know, those sort of exactly. moments. Exactly. And it was quite an early example of that to be honest. I can't think of many TV show revivals that predate mm-hmm. The Addams Family in that sort of way. I'm sure there were plenty, but none spring to mind. Yeah, as an actual kind of complete reworking kind of update rather than a spin-off directly. Mm. Yeah, Charles Adams, famous, well-renowned cartoonist. Mm-hmm. Uh, he drew these weird, macabre uh, family members mm-hmm. from time to time. Then in 1964, ABC, I believe it was, decided to adapt it to television. But they were not particularly well fleshed out. None of the characters even had names. Yeah. So he was involved in the adaptation process, and it really is the 1964 TV show that solidified what the Addams Family actually is, Mm. beyond just these quirky little drawings. I mean, it was John Astin who played Gomez who chose the name Gomez, I believe Charles Adams gave him a, a selection between uh, Gomez and Rapelli. Yeah. And, for example, uh, he threw the name Pubert out there for, for Pugsley. For Pugsley yeah. and, and the network said, no, you can't do that. It's, it sounds like Pubert. Yeah, because it's Pubert. <laughs> but obviously that came back in a later film, yeah. paying reference to it. And so, yeah, the, the, the 60s TV show, I don't think it ran very long. It ran for two seasons, but this was the olden days when a season was like 40 episodes. Yeah, 64 episodes, I think. But just to to tie in with what you were saying earlier, The Monsters was on at the same time and only ran for two seasons as well. Yeah, it debuted within the the same week. From what I read, certainly The Addams Family, it never did that well. It it did a couple of seasons and they were like, oh, this is not really anything special. Chuck it. So, and The Monsters got more repeated over the years where the other family didn't. I think that's why the monsters well, had a bit more of a kind of mainstream um maybe, I don't know. But the problem the problem with this analogy is that the Adams family because of these films has taken on a different form and a different uh, yeah, idea in yeah. the in the cultural zeitgeist. So it's hard to judge now and I can't remember before that. The monsters is very much the the sort of the ants to the Pixar's Bugs yeah. Life. It's you know, it's the kind of knockoff version that isn't as well regarded and what have you. Honestly, and I, I do go back and forth on this because uh, I've seen every episode of the Monsters as well. Alan, would you believe it? Obviously, I would believe that. Yes. Yeah, I I think I prefer the Monsters. There's not a lot in it. They're both 
they both, you know, they, they bring different things to the table. I mean, in a nutshell, the Adams family is the aristocracy, whereas the Munsters is your working class family. Yeah. But also, uh, the Adams family are, with a handful of exceptions, they're basically normal, not supernatural people. They're just a bit quirky kooky. and spooky and kooky. Mysterious and kooky. Yeah. Whereas the Munsters are, you know... It's Monsters. a Frankenstein and a Dracula and a Wolfman. But then the Adamses are actually weird and don't understand why people think that they're... Well, don't even aren't even aware that people think they're weird. They're just yeah. oblivious to it. Whereas the Monsters are all just perfectly normal, ordinary people who look scary. And, mm. the, you know, the, the joke's true. They also don't seem to be aware that um, people think they look scary, but... And apart from the uh, the daughter and the in the daughter and the monsters is a perfectly normal looking mm-hmm. uh, blonde attractive young woman and the joke is oh she didn't get any of our good looks poor girl you know she'll never be a looker and so it's inconsistent yeah, it's but that that and and that is basically <laughs> the joke of the Adams family as well that's the one joke that's been adapted into this entire media empire is backwards everything's backwards yeah yeah hey alan yeah. you know that stuff you think's good well i think i think it's bad and i think the bad stuff's good yeah but i'm sh- <laughs> well i uh I'm hey alan hey alan you know this episode the sound due to how we're recording it the sound quality might not be as good as usual but because it's the adams family we we think that's good we yeah. like bad sound quality it's get a, it it's a rep- it's a homage yeah yeah. Um, so yes, uh, I'm not as familiar with the uh, original TV series as you appear to be, but I did watch a few episodes. Oh, I wish you'd um, come to me. I would have given you uh, uh, some of the better ones because <laughs> the Adams family—it's largely all the same. But there are a handful of standout episodes that are beautiful sitcom farce, like really high quality early examples of like full on just yeah farce. There, there's a Christmas special. I don't suppose you watched that one. No. That's the one that springs to mind, which is genuinely very funny, because if I if I recall, it's something like the kids are told that Father Christmas isn't real, or find out he's not real, but the whole family decides that actually they don't want them to be disappointed, and I can't remember why they don't communicate this to each other, There there is a reason for it. Every single member of the family dresses up as Father Christmas and then, like, makes their way into the kids' bedroom that night. So they basically get visited <laughs> by, far, like, six or seven different Father Christmases one by one and bringing them the same gift over and over and over. And it's just the way it sort of ramps up is not only funny, but feels very modern. You know, it ends with, like, Cousin It or someone dressed as Father Christmas popping up at the end who was never a, a series regular, although he yeah. the, the films might make you think otherwise. Uh, so yeah, which ones did you watch? I watched the first episode. I thought I'll set it yeah, up. I enough. picked one randomly in the middle, and then I think I watched the last episode just to see if it had changed at all over the course of the thing, which I hadn't yeah. at all. I don't think there's any any attempt at closure. Is there? It's no, no, different time. <laughs> but the the one I watched in the middle, which had had a kind of curious sitcom element to it, that was just <laughs> made me made me laugh at it, not with it, um, where. The the whole the whole sort of story hinges around. Pugsley. It's not the one where Morticia plays her sister, the woman with a split screen down the middle. 
I did see that one. That might have been the last episode that I watched. Okay. Well, there's, I think uh, there's a few of them with her, but yeah. Well, yeah, yeah, but she was in that one, yeah. Okay. But uh, the the concept they had at the centre of the one I watched was Pugsley was mistaken. They thought they'd turned Pugsley into a, a baby chimp. <laughs> um, where in fact they actually hadn't and the the farcical elements that it, it was almost father ted-esque in its <laughs> obviously work backwards the way they introduced this chimp to the household was it sort of knocks on the window and puzzles it forgot. in and goes oh hello i forgot You're, this episode do you want to come in <laughs> and then and then they have to they have to get him dressed like pugsley so that the family mistake him for him later yeah, and so he puts the chimp down, and it starts holding a t-shirt that's exactly the same as the one Pugs is wearing. He's like, "Oh, do you like that t-shirt? I got two of them. Let's put it on you." <laughs> and then, and then there's this whole sort of fast element to get them to a point where they think that they've swapped places, and Pugsley goes missing. So that's Pugsley. Pugsley. There was a resemblance. I cast a spell on him. Beginner's luck, if you ask me. It was weak writing. (laughs) And I found that the few episodes that I watched on a whole were not very funny, but there was sort of incessant laugh track constantly, which really bugged me as well. I just love to hear the sound of children at play. They're really having a go at it today. Those educational toys are marvelous. They keep the children off the streets. Look away, dear. Wednesday's celebrating the loss of her front tooth. Oh, she looks much prettier without it. My my general, in a nutshell, review of the old sitcom is: it isn't very funny. It's fairly good by the standard of 1960s sitcoms. All places for your kite to land. Keep going, don't be chicken. I, I, I don't think this branch is gonna hold. Think positive, Wilbur. <laughs> is my kite all right? So that that's just TV wasn't very funny in general. I'd certainly rather watch The Addams Family than Leave It to Beaver or something like that. Mm. But there is an undeniable charm to it, I think. Uh, there is, that's, I think that comes down to the acting, or the actors, and how much character they bring to it. Because like you say, yeah. this is from a source material where they don't have a lot of kind of live, you know, living character. Yeah. They, they kind of had to make their own, I think. Oh, completely. And they really did. They really did bring so much to it. And this is something that really bugs me about the modern, I say modern, the 90s Adams Family movies, is that certainly among people my age, Raul Julia and uh, yeah. Angelica, I said that really weirdly, Angelica Houston are both kind yeah. of revered as, oh, amazing, they're so wonderful. And it's like, no, fuck them. John Astin. John mm-hmm. Astin is Gomez. Caroline Jones is Morticia. Jackie Coogan is Uncle Fester. Like, these these are not only, like, they're just definitive. And the thing is, John Astin is very different to Raul Julia. It's, it's to give Raul some credit, you know, he he made the role his own. Yeah, um, we, we, I guess we'll get into the film in a little bit, but yeah, I, did, I do think they definitely, they weren't too prescribed by that original, like, they were happy to kind of divert somewhat. Yeah. 
Yeah, oh, completely. Uh, if you're not familiar with John Aston, he's such a fast-talking guy. He's such a kind of, hey guys, nice to meet you. I'm John Aston. I got loads of charm and I'm here to talk. You know, he's, he's a real, with a cigar, yeah. very, like, there's a Groucho Marx quality to him when he's smoking his cigars in this. And I love him. I love him as an actor. I think he's wonderful. I think it's a real shame that there isn't more of his stuff that's really um, stood the test of time. I can't think of many other roles of his. Have you seen him in anything else? Uh, yeah, one or two things, but yeah, not not. I've not seen much. a TV movie that a friend of mine loved called Evil Roy Slade, where he plays a kind of you know Billy the Kid kind of renegade guy. Take a card. No, I got a perfect game. Take a card. Shouldn't have taken one. <laughs> How about you? I'll take three. I'm gonna take two cards. I'm gonna take another one. One more. That's good. I'm gonna bet a hundred dollars. I'm in. Everybody's in. Put it all in. Everything. What do you got? Nothing. How about you? I got kings with an ace. I got threes with a gun. Well, you win. Hey, he's lucky. Nice. He's your lucky. He's your lucky. He plays Judge in The Frighteners as an old man. <laughs> and I think that was very much like, let's get this old horror icon in our film. And, and I mean, that was 20 25 years ago. Years ago? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so he's very old now. <laughs> it's remarkable that he's still going. He's still going. He's one of the only surviving cast members. And of course, in my childhood, I best knew him. I didn't realize it was him till later, but I best knew him as the voice of... Bull Gator in the uh, Tasmania TV series that I so love. Oh, really? I wouldn't. Yeah. You'll have to drop in a clip because I wouldn't remember yeah. that. <laughs> and then you can make all kinds of money and maybe even a movie, huh? And you can live in a big igloo and, and we could come and visit, couldn't we, Bull? Axel, you said something stupid. So you know what time it is now, don't you? Uh, yeah, 17 and a half minutes after three. Uh-uh. Oh! Now you know why that had to happen, don't you? Because we're not going to go visit him. That's right. No matter how much money he makes. But no, I love John Astin. I really do. And to me, he is Gomez. He is the definitive yeah. Gomez. Everything else that's come since has been a kind of weird corruption of that. And the same's true of Car- Caroline Jones, I think. I don't think she brings as much unique personality necessarily to the role. What she's yeah. doing slightly more generic, gothy woman. But there's still so that much vamp, charm. Yeah. Like, yeah. So like, how does this relate to... Who's the famous woman who just did that as her entire career? Oh, Vampira. Uh, Vampira. That must be later, right? But it's a classic kind of vamp look yeah. on John Astin. Like the the kind of mania that he brings to it is definitely what you get from Raoul Julia, even if it's a different kind of characterization. Mm. It's that that really yeah fast talking kind of energetic yeah. character. Yeah. Is there. But it's it's beyond you know not not just the cast. Um, not to move on past him. Jackie Coogan is is a good Uncle Fester as well. He he might be. Best known to uh, cinephiles as the little boy from Charlie Chaplin's The Kid. Yeah, old school. Yeah. <laughs> even even Ted Cassidy as Lurch, he's indistinguishable from the guy who plays Lurch in the later films. But he 
originated that. That was him. Do you know what I mean? That was... Mm. The, the later stuff is just replicating him uh, rather than the more going off some amazingly concise source material. Um, yeah. Thing was credited as itself in the old sitcom, so <laughs> they, you know, started all that. Um, but th- there's just so much charm and playfulness. It, you know, John Astin's pockets were lined with asbestos because he had a habit of just uh, putting lit cigars in them. Like when he was smoking and in character, classic nineteen sixty stuff. Have you ever seen photos of the set, by the way, Alan, in color? No. Just just Google it now, like Adam's family house color, because it's it's remarkable just to see how black and white stuff photographs differently <laughs> to. Uh... <laughs> the house was incredibly bright and colorful, but they shot it in black and white, <laughs> so yeah. you'd never know. Well, that's the beauty of black and white filming. They, you know, they knew what they were doing. They knew yeah. what, how it how it transposed as black and white. Film, that's it. So. It's it's all like yellows and pinks and things that yeah. are, you know gives obviously... you good contrast. Yeah, it? yeah, and that's something I have to say. I I think the fact that the original shows in black and white brings a huge amount of um, aesthetic and vibe to it that's lost sadly in the the kind of Barry Sonnenfeld trying to be Tim Burton aesthetic we get in the films later on. I think that, I, actually, if, we, if, if we're going to get to the films, I, I quite like the visual aesthetic of it. I think I think they do very well. It, it, it creates but... a very monochrome kind of feel to it in many ways. I know, I just I just prefer it in black and white. But no, mm-hmm. I, I mean, they do do about as well as they could have done doing it in colour. Gomez and Morticia are an incredibly aspirational couple. I think the Adams family, one of the main reasons that it has so much charm is that they are a truly very loving family. Um, y- you would most likely think, you know, a layman would most likely think, looking in, oh, they're all spooky and kooky, therefore they'll all be sociopaths who, you know, are mean to each other and blah, 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 blah. But yeah. Gomez and Morticia are incredibly loving. I think that's the central tenet of the the whole thing, that they... They're kind of weird and kooky, but you know, there's this real. They're a real strong family, and they love each other, and they oh, do anything for each other, and they play um, that off against the kind of classic. This will be in the third film, particularly. We'll, we'll get there later, but the kind of yes. <clears throat> oh, and in the second film, uh, but that kind of perfect suburbia, but actually underneath it's it looks perfect, but underneath it's terrible. Whereas this is like it looks. Oh my god, this is terrible, but they're really. Uh, happy yeah. underneath. Yeah. yeah. Oh, completely. It's, I think um, that's kind of really the central concept of the whole thing. Yeah, yeah. Um, and and off the back of that, Gomez and Morticia are largely considered to be the first married couple on US TV that had an implicit sex life um, that, you know, weren't routinely seen with separate beds and that sort of thing. Um, I think there are a couple of points you could uh, used to dispute that, but that you know, m- much as um, Captain Kirk and Uhura is largely considered to be the first interracial kiss on US TV, Gomez and Morticia are largely considered to be the first sexual couple. And and you know, for nineteen sixties TV, it is quite full on. You know, the the, the the jokes of the film are just lifted from this, not not the uh, light BDSM references, but the. The her saying 
various words in French or bubula and things like that, and him going, mm-hmm. you know, <laughs> yeah, him going, Morticia, that's French. You know what that does to me? And then like kissing her up and down, and it's you know, you know what else, Alan? The Adams family were the first TV family to own a computer. Oh, really? Yeah. yeah. What sort of computer is it? <laughs> uh, I can't quite remember the episode, but I think it's a big fuck off, massive computer that uh, <laughs> they were fucking rich. <laughs> they had loads of money. Isn't he a lawyer in the series? Is that right? Uh, in the TV show, he's a lawyer, but he owns a great deal of stock, which I think is, you know, and it's implicit he's inherited some money as well. But yeah, he's a lawyer. Um, he's he's more of a working man than he is in the the films that ditch that. Another major change they make is that um, uh, Uncle Fester is Morticia's uncle in the TV show. Yeah, it's that classic thing of having an old, an elderly relative who just sort of lives with you uh, for some reason. Yeah. Uh, but then they just made him Gomez's brother in the the first film. Um, do Do you want to rate the show out of ten? So give us. I only watched a few episodes. I would. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I would put it a f- sort of a flat five, really. I wouldn't yeah. care to I, watch anymore. <laughs> I'd give it a seven, but that's a very generous score, taking into account the the time in which it stemmed yeah. from and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. So after that show, there was I think we've mentioned on the podcast in passing before the new Scooby Doo movies, yeah. which was the second Scooby Doo TV show, I believe, the follow up to. Scooby-Doo, Where Are You?, in which every episode was a TV hour and featured some sort of crossover element. And there was an episode called Wednesday is Missing, where the Adams Family appeared, voiced predominantly by the TV series cast, certainly John Astin and Carolyn Jones, um, but drawn to look like Charles Adams' original designs, which is a bit jarring. And um, that I, I don't know for sure. This was in 1972, this aired. Um, I think it was intended as a sort of backdoor pilot for Hanna-Barbera's yeah. 1973 Adams Family cartoon that shortly followed. I think they were testing the water to see how well Sounds the characters cool, yeah. would yeah, go down with people. Um, then there was a, a Hanna-Barbera Adams Family cartoon, which didn't keep the same cast, but did keep those exact same designs and drawings um, that ran for a season in 1973. Uh, Gomez is completely different. He has a kind of a kind of weird, like, almost like voice. Yeah. Um, <laughs> oh, can you forgive me, Carita? I thought you were in the arms of a strange man. Gomez, you know you're the only strange man for me. You two again. You'll pay dearly for this. Oh, I already did, my good man. A thousand dollars. Really, darling? We ought to be getting back to the children. You're right, Curita. Lurch. Oh, Lurch. Yoo-hoo. Yoo-hoo. Apparently there was a a pilot for a musical variety show in 1973 that had almost an entirely new cast. But uh, Felix Silla reprised the role of Cousin It, but it was just a musical variety hour thing. And weirdly <laughs> enough, Butch Patrick played Pugsley. Do you know who that is, Alan? Butch Patrick? Yeah, from the Monsters. Eddie Munster, yeah. Very odd. The Hanna-Barbera cartoon series was pretty good by Hanna-Barbera cartoon standards at the time as well. It 
not amazing, but um, nice sort of way of keeping the characters alive. And for, for the hell of it, I'm going to give it a 7 out of 10 as well. Uh, they did do a TV movie that I've skipped past. Oh, that must be what I'm thinking of then. Yeah, there, there was something called Halloween with the new Adams family in 1977, which was a... Again, I'm not sure if it was intended as a, a sort of way to test the water for um, yeah. a revival of the show, or if it was just a TV nostalgic. Let's bring them back for a, for a TV special. But it's the... Original cast for the most part. John Astin plays Gomez again. Caroline Jones plays Morticia. Uh, Jackie Coogan's Uncle Fester. It's just the kids who've grown up who've been replaced, basically. So that's a, a first look at the Adams Family in colour. But it's quite sad, really. They're all looking very long in the tooth. And uh, yeah. it's all just a bit tragic, really. Um so I wouldn't really recommend it unless you're doing some weird retrospective like I did at one point. And it's it's basically just about them celebrating Halloween one year. Um, yeah. There's not a lot to it. <laughs> I, I gave it a 5 out of 10. So we skip forward uh, 1991. Mm-hmm. Tim Burton's not available, so they call Barry Sonnenfeld, who yeah. is a cinematographer who has never directed a film. That's not flippant, by the way. Like They, they were literally trying to get Tim Burton to mm, He was doing his Batman this. films, wasn't he? Yeah, yeah. Certainly now, I don't know about 99, but certainly now Tim Burton, as you would imagine, Tim Burton is the obvious choice for something like this. Uh, and I think back then, after he's on Beetlejuice, uh, that would make sense as well. Well, he was still the obvious choice even after they made these films. There, there was a long gestating Tim Burton stop-start animated Adams Family film that never got made as well that was supposed to yeah, follow these that. up. Yeah, Barry Sonnenfeld is drafted in. He's a cinematographer, but a cinematographer of some repute. He's he, he certainly shot some of the very best porn films in Hollywood. <laughs> yeah, so after that, he did <laughs> mainstream films. Uh, such misery he did, didn't he? Or was that? Was that him? That was one of the last ones he did, I think, before. Huh. I think so. But he worked with the Coen brothers a couple of times. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, in he, their he early days. started off. like That's how he got into mainstream Hollywood, I think, isn't it? Is it? He came up with those guys and Sam Raimi and was part of that crew. All, all I know is he, yeah, he was the DOP on Blood Simple, which was the... Oh, um, well, if he was that early on, then yeah, he must have yeah. come up with them, yeah. Um, so, yeah, let's, let's deal with that first then, because... It does feel a little bit knockoff Tim Burton. Compared to something else we watched recently, the Men in Black films, there's an obvious connection. Like You can see the same sort of style. It uses the same font, pretty much. Yes, yes, that's true. <laughs> yes, uh, so I think there's definitely obvious, there's something of the Sonnenfeld in there, I suppose. Mm. But we also discussed when we dealt with Men in Black that it's, his career never quite materialised in this yeah. way that it was expected, did it? And well, he, he had a very promising start. You know, he, yeah. he, he began it with the Adams Family. Shortly after did Adams Family Values, Get Shorty, Men in Black. I, I haven't seen The Concierge, but that's a very strong run of five films to to get started, you know? and Yeah, uh, with and, and not just sort of like artistically valid film, but like things with mainstream appeal that made a lot yeah. of money for people. So well, I said Men in Black was a huge hit and brilliant, and uh, Get Shorty is very well respected in a more kind of legitimate mm. film sense. And I think Wild Wild West seemingly 
killed his entire yeah, I mean, career. I know he had a failure, but is that one film will do it? Well, I don't know. It looks like it. Mm. He followed Men in Black up with Wild Wild West, and it was just... He mm. never seemed to get it back after that. As far as I understand, the Adams family made a shit ton more money than anyone expected as well. Oh, yeah, completely. And they did have trouble with it at the beginning, though, because it went over budget and they were having problems or some something mm. like that. But it all kind of paid off in the end. But they got a sequel. But let's So let's talk about the film itself a little bit. Um, we've got... So, yeah, who, who who's in the cast? So Raul Julia as uh, Gomez, Gomez. Yep. who's a kind of... Like John Astin, but a little bit more Hispanic. The Fester Adams Offshore Retirement Fund? What would it do? What wouldn't it do? Fester. All tribute to thee. Some called him inhumanly evil. No. Only our parents. Yeah, because he's called Gomez, I guess they decided. Oh, that means he's Hispanic now. Uh, yeah, Raul Julia. Who I know from this and Street Fighter. Is yeah, that, is that I, it? I, I've never even seen Street Fighter, but I know of him in it. I know he's, you know, him and his bulging eyes is quite a popular <laughs> thing. I mean, he's a very beloved actor, isn't he? People love him. And I, I don't know if there's a touch of the Heath Ledger about it where they they kind of turned in one performance that meant a lot to people and then died. Uh, or... Well, I, I understand Raul Julia was a pretty well-respected stage actor, mm. um, which obviously does not stand the test of time in terms of legacy quite in the same way yeah. as film. But I suspect for most people, he is Gomez Adams and wouldn't know him from much else in terms of like certainly mainstream kind of straightforward. But I think to a lot yeah. of people, he is the definitive Gomez Adams. And that's... Yeah, uh, yeah. That annoys me, <laughs> and it's weird because I really I should be embracing the Raúl Julia, the uh, you know, the Hispanic. Your namesake. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> the problem is, Alan. The problem is, if you dress up as Gomez Adams for Halloween, you're a dick, and the same goes for Morticia and Wednesday. So <laughs> why? Because it's too easy. Yeah. So I'm not gonna. If it was more obscure and out there, I'd be all over it. I'd be like, this is my guy. He's made it. He's made it more on brand for me. Brilliant. No. Now, as Morticia Adams, we've got Angelica Houston. Someone who I've never particularly liked as an actor. Yeah. Not I, that she's yeah. a bad actor. Particularly. I just never liked her in anything. She's just there. People, yeah, I've never I, seen I, her do a standout performance. Again, I think a lot of people love her predominantly based off of these films but to me she's a she's a really pale imitation of carolyn jones i i don't even think she brings any of her self to the role in the way that raul julia does so yeah. to me it is just a bad not a bad impression but just a, a very plain uninteresting impression of something that wasn't all that remarkable and unique to begin with um but mm -hmm. Yeah, I agree. I've I've seen her pop up in stuff. I've never thought, wow, she's good. I have never seen that Mrs. Brown's Boys movie that they made before Mrs. Brown's Boys, where she plays Mrs. Brown. So maybe <laughs> maybe that'll be the one to to uh, convert me. It is interesting that she played that. She's she's very mannish, isn't she? <laughs> Square jaw. Yeah, and Jackie said nothing special, but I think. Gets the job done, you know. They they put a light on her eyes in this kind of nineteen twenty five film style kind of thing, which is yeah, yeah. They really pick out the lighting on her eyes, which I think works 
I think I don't think it's surprising with a director that's a former cinematographer to get kind of very visual style stuff. Yeah. Um, and I think it does work as Fester or kind of becomes Fester. As yeah. Christopher Lloyd. Now this is an interesting mm. one because it is a very different take on yeah. the Fester character. Well, this is just like people looked at pictures of Uncle Fester and went, oh, he looks like he'd be a bit weird, like Christopher Lloyd, and never actually watched the show. Because, yeah, it's nothing like he is in the old TV series. Mm. In the old TV series, he's, he's quite he's quite warm and friendly. He comes across quite not very scary. He looks a bit weird, but but his voice is very high-pitched, and he's kind of up here. Hey, guys, it's me, Uncle Fester. <laughs> now there's only one way to settle this. Uncle Fester, please, not that. But Morticia, the family honor. He's right, Morticia, the family honor. You'll have to challenge Pomeroy to a duel. No, I'd rather shoot him in the back. <laughs> Uncle Fester, that is not the honorable way. I know, but it's the safe way. Uncle Fester, I'm ashamed of you. And Adams doesn't know the meaning of the word fear. I do. I'll shoot him in the back. <laughs> Uncle Fester, remember the Adams name. It'll have to be a duel. What sort? With victory going to the swiftest, the cunningest, the deadliest. I'll shoot him in the back. Wait. And then, you know, you get Christopher Lloyd with the, the sunken eye makeup on and have him being really, I'm Christopher Lloyd being in scary mode. It's, it's very different. Haven't you ever slaughtered anyone? He's only a child. No excuse. Aim for a major artery. That juggler. I'm not stuck to the original, so this is this yeah, is kind of works. my definitive Adams family, and I think it works. I think Christopher Lloyd just brings a lot of energy to it. He's really going for it, yeah. And in making him Gomez's brother, I think that makes sense as well because he they are a bit more similar. They're very kind of manic energy, whereas I think well, they are in this, yeah. But that's only because they've changed the character. We have the other sort of major notable character in the family is. Uh, Christina Ricci, a very young Christina Ricci yes. as Wednesday Adams. Yes, and yes. It becomes very clear as we'll get to the second film, they realized what they had there mm. and capitalized on that and, and really focused part of the plot around her. Yeah. But here in this first film, it's just a kid actor that they've hired in to play this character. But Wednesday is a very difficult character to play because it's so deadpan and kind of unemotional character. And in this first film, they don't make too much of it but in the second film we'll get onto that i think it takes a lot of skill to play that and, and do it well and, and still have the comic timing and still she get a bit yeah. of emotional resonance out of it when it's such a flat character deliberately so i don't think there's anything particularly remarkable about her in this first film but yeah mm. you're right the second one gives her a bit of stuff to do that shows that she's capable and and you know i'm, I'm a big fan of christina ricci i think she's um i think she's a good a good actor. Uh, now yeah, she's yeah. an adult. I've seen her in some very good stuff. So it's, uh, yeah. I mean, it really was her her career maker. Um, certainly as a child star. I mean, fucking hell. You know what's he called? Pugsley. He. Uh, yeah. Who are you? He, he didn't make the same the same yeah. impression on on us, did he? The the one playing the granny in he in this first film. I prefer Carol Kane in the second one, even though she's not in it very much. Uh, yeah, so I do think, though, that the casting really does make the film. I, the energy that comes to it, Raoul Houllier, Christopher Lloyd specifically, 
is the heart of it. And I think Angelica Houston is is a gets the job done. Like I don't think she stands mm-hmm. out, but it, she does what needs to be done there. Yeah. And then the the so the side characters that come in, um, who's playing Fester's mother or adopted mother or whatever is Elizabeth Wilson, who I don't know. I don't know if I've seen anything else, but she's... I've seen her in things, I think, but I certainly can't recall who Mrs. Braddock from The Graduate is. Uh... Yeah, but this and this is it seems odd casting because this is a big kind of comedy role. She plays this scheming gangster kind of character, and then this fake, like, Freudian doctor character. And it's it feels like that's a big comedy role that you give to a really safe pair of hands, but... Mm. I don't know who this is. <laughs> Not that she does a bad ro- job at it, particularly, but I just feel like yeah, there's probably more to milk out of it. Yeah. I suspect if you're looking for an older woman in early 90s who can really handle some comedy what are the options I, I suspect there's just it's just not a it's not something that's been cultivated yeah <laughs> so it's it's not something that was easily available it's one of those roles where you think this is a standout role but I, it doesn't stand out I guess is my point and mm. I, I, I you don't remember that character really where you do remember Christopher Lloyd or yeah or yeah no I agree and so the central story is that you know Dan Hadaya who is their family solicitor i guess yeah and he's trying to scam them out of some money he finds someone who looks like they're missing their brother fester and they get they come up with this scam to try and pretend it is fester and then it ends up it is fester at the end but they don't quite commit to it in a really who saw that coming eh? <laughs> but they, they don't really commit to that ending in a in a satisfying way it's really thrown away i'm not quite sure why that is Feels like was that a last minute change or something? I, I I think this film's problem really is that arguably its strength, arguably what it was trying to do, but I think it's a problem with the film. It just feels like a load of meandering nineteen sixties sitcom nonsense. The mm-hmm. the plot's never really very solidified. The stakes are never really all that high. Yeah. It kind of just feels like you're watching a big budget episode of the 1960s TV show. And the same's true of the the jokes, really. It's it is just the same jokes they were doing in the 60s. I mean, literally some of them, you know, the the Dan Hadaya stepping on the the polar bear skin rug and then it comes to mm. life and bites him on the leg. That was a running gag, I think, that the old TV show had. Yeah. Um and then of course, you know, I was stuck in the Bermuda Triangle and, and oh, we love the Bermuda Triangle. We went there on our second honeymoon and all that. That's, you know, that is just, it's the same exact shit they were doing in the 60s and it wasn't particularly funny then. So, <coughs> um, I don't know. It, it, it's falling back on franchise charm to carry it. If it's it's not relying on it's not relying on franchise charm, it's it's using those ingredients that are already there. Well, I think people our age who were kids when this came out and who fondly remember it don't yeah. I, I think the adults at the time were familiar with it. I think it was coasting on nostalgia. I think that's going back to what I said about Scott Rudin deciding he wanted to make it. I, I think it was very much, oh, there's enough of a nostalgic memory for this property, let's cash in on it. And and so I think the film is relying on on charm, and it gets away with it. 
as long as you don't compare it too closely to the old TV show, it has got a lot of charm. Well, I, I think you are bringing your love of the old TV show to bear on this because I, I found it very watchable. I found it very entertaining and I think it's actually really good. Um, and I, I really like the look of it. Yes, it's a Tim Burton knockoff, but it works really nicely. I think the pacing has a lot of issues in the third act, particularly when we get to the the big family yeah. party. It really yeah. stops dead. Oh, but because it's the Adams family, that means it's good, doesn't it, Alan? Stopping dead. <laughs> That's what you want it to do. Stop dead. Have you ever seen the 90s cartoon? No. It's not particularly good. It's just very standard 90s Saturday morning cartoon. Uh, but the character designs are interesting because they're they're largely just taking off the old Charles Adams drawings, with the one exception being Gomez, who is now much taller and <laughs> looks a lot more like, uh, I suppose, more like John Astin, um, who voiced the guy. So they probably just thought, oh, it's going to be weird if we make him like this little short fat man who um, <laughs> used to be. He used to look a lot more like Fester's brother, frankly. It's weird that he wasn't. So, just one more thing to talk about the first film. Uh, Thing? Yeah. I'm always struck by how bad the effects are on Thing. And I I don't know if that's just that I kind of thought we'd moved beyond this level by 1991 and we hadn't, or what? Well, I think, yeah, it's... It's 1991, isn't it? Well, well, I don't know. How much can you expect? You know, they do a perfectly fine job of removing the arm with CGI. Although I will say in the old TV show, Thing had an arm. He just, you know, he'd appear out of boxes and things and yeah. reach out of them. Um, but there's no weight to it. The way he walks and everything. It, it, the, yeah, like, yeah. I think it's this film, it might be the second one, when he's like jumping from... Uh, stepping stone to stepping stone and he's just kind of floating in the air it's just, I don't think it's a, a special effects issue so much as a, a puppeteering issue yeah, yeah, exactly mm. and I just don't think it's done very well I looked up the guy who plays him because uh, I was expecting to be a puppeteer or something like that and he's as far as I can tell, he's a magician <laughs> yeah. so maybe he's just like they thought, oh yeah, he's good, he moves his hands good with his hands, he's, yeah, yeah manipulates stuff with his hands so I think that's the concept. He's not really done much else. Interestingly, I've just looked him up on IMDb, and the top credit, the best-known thing he's got is something called Idle Hands. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> In which he plays the hand. <laughs> <laughs> well, there you go, then. Is that before or after? Adam's that is after the Adams Family. Obviously, oh, I'll Typecast. He is also uh, in an episode of Angel as the hands. <laughs> <laughs> So, uh, yeah, I mean, he's made a career out of it, it looks like. He hasn't got particularly interesting hands, though. I know. <laughs> well, yeah, very weird. I don't, I don't have much else to say, really. I, I think it's. I think it has that franchise charm, and it sustains it. It brings enough new energy to it. It's charming. I think it's meandering and messy and not particularly funny, but funny enough for the charm to just work. It's fine. It's there. I'm giving it an incredibly generous 7 out of 10. <laughs> well, I, I really did genuinely enjoy it, and it's been a long time since I've seen it, but that the sort of fond memories I had were definitely founded. Uh, I gave it a kind of hearty, generous 8. Wow. Yeah, and I think... 
I think there is something we've I've talked about this before. There's a certain sort of period of the '90s where I have that nostalgia element. I think it's kind yeah. of there's there is something that hits uh, for me. Yeah. But I will say though, I think if you before I just rewatch these, if you ask me to sort of talk talk about the Adams Family films, what I would be describing, what I'd be talking about is Adams Family values. Yeah, Adams Family values is um, generally regarded as the the superior film. Mm-hmm. Um, Critically, it, it has a higher rating on Rotten Tomatoes. F- big fans of this series certainly seem to point to this one as the one they like. To be honest, I, I think what it is is that a lot of uh, people our age and below, particularly women, maybe saw mm. Wednesday Adams as something of a an icon <laughs> in childhood. Oh, I can I can be like that, can I? And this is the Wednesday Adams movie. Um, yes. So I think well, that's what it comes down to. Funny you should mention that because I, I distinctly remember seeing this film when I was like 12, maybe 13, maybe, I don't know, but seeing it on TV when it was first out. Um, and like Christina Ricci was like, Ooh, my kind of crush <laughs> as a 12 year old. Now she is obviously a child in this, but so was I. So I think that's okay. Um but this is, yeah, a long-standing uh, love for Christina Ricci began with Adam Summer Values, so it has it has that it has that nostalgia element in my life. <laughs> I had that based on the um, exploitative Black Snake Moan posters when I was eighteen. <laughs> <laughs> it's a different, very different Christina Ricci. Yeah, uh, yeah but that's yes, I I would agree that this is the Wednesday Adams film. However. It seems the filmmakers weren't that confident on it because there is an entire secondary plot Ugh. that goes alongside, and and that is the main problem with this film. Well, there are two completely separate plots that never really come together. Yeah. Well, the Christina Ritchie one is very much a subplot. Yeah, yeah, I think it is presented as such. Yes, and they're not connected. They're not really connected on even any yeah. kind of allegorical level. Like just they're telling the same thing about yeah. family or whatever. Also, the other problem element with the script in terms of it just feels like a weekly written script is that a whole baby thing kind of is the first act and then it's like oh yeah there's a baby the first film the main problem is that it doesn't transcend its sitcom roots it just feels like a meandering extended sitcom plot so the fact that in the second film they went straight into the cliche what you do to a 1960s sitcom when it's running out of steam the characters have a baby <laughs> it's it's just not interesting. It's awful. We don't want another Adams character that's a baby. It's boring. I don't no one wants to see that. And it doesn't add anything to the film. All it does is is serves as a a catalyst to get Wednesday and Pugsley off to summer camp. But mm-hmm. you could have done that anyway. Any number of ways. Yeah. They, you could have hired a nanny to look after them and then mm. the nanny's after Festa. And then at the end, the baby is kind of uh, central to how it's all stopped. But again, it all just by, not necessary. It was just by kind of, right, we better do something with this baby then. And, and But they, they built so much of the beginning of the film around him that, it, yeah, it feels very weird that it just gets forgotten about. And then you break up into two stories. Yeah, but it's because there there seems to be this weird misconception amongst people that people care about baby characters being added to stuff. And maybe I'm just completely out of touch. Maybe people do. But 
I don't know. I I I remember when I remember when Dennis the Menace had uh, a sibling when when his parents had a baby in the Beano, and it was this huge ongoing arc, and they were like, "Oh my god, they're adding a new character!" Arr! And then it was the shittest character, this baby character. They did it on Fairly Odd Parents. They did it. They they keep adding baby Mario and baby Luigi to every Mario game, and everyone hates them. I mean, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe it's the, maybe the little girls playing these games like playing as Baby Mario. I don't know, but I don't get the impression that any of these characters ever end up being popular. I mean, honestly, I think Scrappy Doo is the most popular <laughs> version that fits into this sort of category of let's add a young baby character in. It's and if you're gonna do that, it's the plot. Can't we get some, you know, surely the run-up to that's more interesting. Surely... Oh, but hang on, they have the baby at the very end of the first one, do they? Or have I just no, 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 she no. announces that she's pregnant. Oh, that's, that's, that's all, yeah. Surely the interesting plot is her pregnancy and and do something with that. I mean, maybe I'm wrong. I don't fucking know. Just yeah, Maybe they felt like they'd written themselves into a corner because she announces the pregnancy at the end of the first one and... And, uh... But yeah, but the, the it is it's just weak writing. The two the two stories that they get that is bad anyway because we've got two separate stories. Neither of them are anything to do with the baby it, as a coherent story as a narrative yeah. point. Yeah. So it's just weak. It's just weak writing, and um, that is unfortunate because yeah, again, as in the first film, I really enjoyed this. I found it very entertaining. Uh, there was definite nostalgia from when I used watched it as a kid. And the characters are all still there, you know? It still works. Yeah. And John, John Cusack uh, comes in as the kind of principal uh, antagonist and she's seducing all the yeah. that. That character could be... I don't know. It's just a very one-dimensional character. Yeah. yeah. Um, it's not great. But yeah. I, I think, I do think that when... Or certainly I. When I think of Adam's family, I think of Wednesday Adams at summer camp. And that, I think, is a really great thing to do. Taking the Adams family away from the home and putting them into the normal world. And then that clash, I think, is a really good idea. I agree, except I don't think it's very cinematic. <laughs> I think that is a that is a sitcom episode. That's not a film. Mm-hmm. Well, that's why they had to have a separate story going on. Yeah, um, yeah. There's lots of um, there's still lots and lots of little references and what have you playing off nostalgia for the old TV show. If you're aware of it, um, there, there's the bit with the light bulb with Fester putting the light bulb in his mouth. That was something yeah, Jackie yeah. Coogan used to do in almost every episode. They were obsessed with the fact that they obviously had this trick light bulb that lit up <laughs> that he could put in his mouth. So they. They make a gag out of that when she tries to electrocute him in the bath, and but that—that's the other thing as well that they—they they essentially make Fester immortal. <laughs> in well, yeah, film. but that—that—that's—that's that's pretty much from the original nineteen sixties TV show. Where, like the running gag was he was just constantly trying to kill himself, not trying to kill himself, but you know, just getting himself doing things, electrocuting himself, and uh, much like. Pugsley in the first film, where Wednesday keeps like trying to kill him. They they did a lot of that sort of stuff with Fester in the old TV show. Yeah. Oh, that's that's the other thing about this second film. They may as well have not put Pugsley in it. Oh, <laughs> They're God, just yeah. not gonna bother with him. <laughs> they couldn't have given less of a shit yeah. about him. And and I think the real the real high points of the film are those uh, the two um, council the 
the two camp leaders. Yeah, well, I uh, mean, Christine Baranski and Peter McNichol. Yeah, were they? Peter McNichol was like nineties, the sort of films you have nostalgia for. Royalty. I don't know quite how to put it, but he was just he Ghostbusters was... Two and Mr. Bean. Yeah. <laughs> Dracula Dead and Loving It. He was in all this shit in the night. He had a real moment in the 90s. He was a big deal. He was in everything. And then he just kind of fucked off. Popped up again years later in Veep. I can elect anyone in New Hampshire. I can elect a Muslim AIDS virus. Okay, Jack. A terrorist fucking AIDS virus in the tiniest suicide vest ever made. I could make it governor of New Hampshire. Okay, Jeff, you're drunk. And Christine Baranski, who, uh, not hot yet. Oh, is it not working for you here? No, not is at all. Because she hasn't got all. the nose job done yet. Yeah, it's weird though, isn't it? <laughs> uh, yes, but I think that the, the energy they bring, that kind of very kind of over the top hey we're happy camp counselor people it works it's just the right level of comedy yeah. it's obviously set up to play off of wednesday the fact that every other kid there is blonde and like this kind of perfect americana vision uh, is is nice i think it's kind of it, it, it takes everything right to the onto the nose without it without losing it i think it all works i think all the camp stuff works really nicely they have a nice big ending to it as well with the with the play. I, I kind of agree. I, I still think the the comedy they're working at in this film is it's still quite weak. It's still like nineteen sixties. Oh, this soup's cold. How delicious. It's still that level of like doing a joke. But there there is more of an attempt at writing legitimate gags in this one. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. you do have a few, you know, lines that are really playing off Wednesday, like the, you know, what if this guy was completely devoted to you, blah, 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 blah. Oh, I'd pity him, and little gags like that. And again, I still don't find those hugely funny, but they're fine. I think think this is much like the first film for me, honestly. I think it's kind of just, it gets by on charm. Well, that's it. I think you're right. I think there's just a real charm to it that papers over a lot of cracks. And I, I also I agree that I, I would put this one in a very similar stable as the first one. I think I think this one has found its place a little bit more, has found the characters a little bit more settled. But I also think this the story structure is quite poor, mm. uh, it, just to, from a filmic point of view. But they work; the elements work. It's just they don't come together. Uh, so that's know. kind of a bad point. But I do enjoy yeah. the individual pieces. Yeah, I'm, I'm similar. Um, on a side note, Nathan Lane has a cameo in this as a policeman. Oh yeah, he did. Yeah, he did, yeah. Um, and that's that's notable because do you know Alan that he would later go on to play Gomez Adams himself? Uh, yeah, in the, in the, some sort of musical. When you're in Adams, you need to have a little moonlight. When you're in Adams, you need to feel a little chill. You have to see the world in shades of grey. You have to put some poison in your day. That's the way when you're in Adams. Yeah, the Adams Family Broadway musical. Don't think it lasted very long. <laughs> I I don't think it, it appears to be particularly good. But yeah, there was an Adams Family Broadway musical in 2009. And Nathan Lane was Gomez. So there you go. (laughs) 
Well, you're a big fan. Yeah, I do. I love Nathan Lane. It's nice when he appears. I like it when he has a little tiny cameo out of the blue. Is ah, oh, I am. I'm an exasperated policeman. Ah, oh, gee. Ah, oh. he's good at that. He's good at that. Okay, so what a mook. Uh, we didn't really touch on it in the first film, but I, I, I can't not bring it up here. The Is music, it the music? Yeah, the Over music the end credits. Yeah. <laughs> That we, we didn't really talk about the music in the series, a very iconic theme tune, which I think has probably lasted the test of time more than the show has. They're creepy and they're kooky, mysterious and spooky. They're all together ooky, the Adams family. The house is a museum, when people come to see them, they really are a scream, the Adams family. It's very weird, that theme tune, because it's very catchy and iconic. It's also, like, not actually very good. It's really grating and annoying. (laughs) And it's weird, because, like, the elements are there to make something really cool. Like when the Simpsons incorporated it into one into their end credits theme for a Halloween special once, it's brilliant. It sounds so cool because Alf Clausen is a wonderful uh, musician. Maybe this new animated film, I, I think there's a potential there to kind of remix it, play with it, and turn it into something really cool. But Which I, w- I was surprised they didn't do much with it in these films. Yeah, like, you definitely yeah. hear it, hear a little refrain here and there, but it, they don't embrace yeah. it, and they don't kind of yeah. go with a full-on remix kind of thing either. Well, I, I think it's because it, I think they don't because it's actually quite a shit song. <laughs> I think that's basically what it is. <laughs> I don't think they had faith in themselves to turn it into something good. Because um, it is that real 1960s, we're singing a song about the characters in the show, la 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 la. It, you know, it's. And, and then compare that, compare and contrast the Monsters theme tune. That is a theme tune. Got that like 1960s surfer rock vibe. Have you ever heard Whatever Happened to Eddie, the Butch Patrick single, trying to capitalise on his fame later in life? No, I don't think I have. It's oh, it's, it's one of the worst songs I've ever heard in my entire life. <laughs> it's the Monsters theme tune with him going... Whatever happened to Awful, but yeah, I, I just I had to to bring up Wumpf, Adam's family. There it is. Kick it! Oh yeah, party time with.
with the Adams family. With a little help from DC, the brain supreme, and my man Steve Bowden tag team. Adams family. So this is on the second film because the first film has a crap song over the credits as well. Yeah, but it's not as it's not as egregious as a the Adams family. New baby in the house makes three. Wednesday Pugsley learned you ring. Your fest up grandma and things. Wait, can't forget cousin it. Tag team rips another party hit. It's the Adams family movie theme. Go Mes Morticia. Come on, sing. <laughs> well, there, there was Wump, there it is. It was a, a big hit around this time, wasn't it? Wump, there it is. Uh, by Tag Team. So instead of coming up with a new original song, they just got Tag Team to re record it as Wump Adam's Family, there it is. Which is just the exact same song, but they say Adam's Family repeatedly <laughs> in it. Uh, so Adam's Family Values. Yeah. I'm probably gonna be somewhat ends to you with this, Alan. Mm -hmm. uh, I think it is pretty much on par with the first film. Like you say, it feels more comfortable. The characters have certainly settled into a groove, but it's also messier. And the first film wasn't exactly an incredibly tightly knit screenplay to begin with. But it really is just doing more of the same. And and the first film had a an element of novelty to it. Because it's like the first time we've seen these characters in a film. Mm -hmm. That's gone here. Therefore, whereas the first one was teetering on being a 6 out of 10 for me, I, I have just knocked this one down to a 6. I just got bored, honestly. <laughs> it's that whole A plot with the baby and the nanny is so yeah. dull. I, I definitely have problems with the structure of the film as a whole, but if I was going to watch either one of them again, this would be the one I'd watch. And so I think I would just prefer it over the first one. But very similar, and I've given it an eight again. So will will this positively uh, will this positivity continue <laughs> into Adam's family reunion, <laughs> the nineteen ninety eight straight to video follow up? Do you know anything about this? Because it did the second film not make very much money or something? It, it seems odd to me that they didn't just churn out another one off the bat. Well, Raoul Julia was ill and then died quite right. fairly quickly. Because I, I, I think he was already ill when he was making this film. Definitely was sick by the time he was making Street Fighter. So okay. I think that was part of it. Cast here, he is replaced by wonderful casting, Tim Curry, who, as an actor, I would say has the potential to be the best Gomez of the lot. Mm. Um, but something happened here, I don't know what... Uh, <laughs> And it's embarrassing. What what the fuck is going on with him in this film? Wednesday, Pugsley, how many times have I asked you not to play with the mailman while he's working? The important thing to note about Adam Tomlin, it was um it was a pilot for TV series. Oh, was it? Which I didn't know that. which was made. They made the TV series. Yeah, yeah, the the new Adams family. Yeah. yeah. But this was kind of their way of Tim Curry's not in the show, though, we should add. the. In fact, none of... Yeah, Daryl Hannah as well isn't... The girl who played Wednesday is in the show. That's, yeah. She's the only one. But the... they it, it was very much like, we're making a children's show aimed at children. And it is that... It, it, with such a different demographic, they've made a very different film. Yeah. But even with that in mind, it's an awful film. It's a really terrible piece of work. 
And you can tell yeah. there's obviously not much budget and it, yeah, exactly. It's it's, it's all of the problems that existed with these films, and it hasn't got any money, and the cast are being directed it's to be as no shit as they possibly whatsoever. can. No charm. And the charm is gone, and there's a, a an air of tragedy about the whole thing. It just feels like a cheap, crass knockoff made with no love or care. Which is what it is. Yeah, and it's a shame though because. Tim Curry and Daryl Hannah, like I say, you you know they could both well under the right guy. I, d- I would definitely I, put Daryl Hannah into the Angelica Houston. I've never seen her do anything special. Category, frankly, I'm not a big fan. I don't think, but she doesn't do much here. Tim Curry can be very big and charismatic. I don't know if I would ever expect particularly great acting from him. I think I think he's probably the best thing in the film. It's bad though. He's like it's like they're reining him in. It's like they're trying to put him into It feels like he's doing his best under the circumstances and it's he's yeah. the best thing in it. And it, I I can't overstate how bad this film is. It's probably one of the worst films I've ever seen. It's it's really it's it, it's it's aiming for a kind of earnest meets the Adams family level of filmmaking and doesn't reach it you know it's it doesn't have the <laughs> but it's that level of kind of budget and obviously thrown together let's just do some physical gags but it hasn't got any charm it hasn't got uh, jim varney selling it it's, it's it's just bad on every level and it's really the the story doesn't really you know add up to much it's it's yeah, really weak, and there's some crap CGI in it as well. Just to oh, yeah, just to make sure it dates it. Atrocious. Yeah, and uh, I mean, I don't know if you've seen any of the new Adams family that apparently was spawned by it. Have you? No, I couldn't bring myself to 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 watch it. It's every bit as bad. Yeah, I imagine. But with a cast of nobodies. I'll tell you who is in it. Clint Howard pops up, so you know you know it's going to be good because there's there's a character. Uncle Fester trains a dog to eat hair. For whatever reason. And so Clint Howard, well, bear that in mind, the dog eats hair. Clint Howard turns up as a dog catcher with a lovely head of hair. Now, can you imagine what's going to happen there, Sol? I think that he's going to look after the dog and they're going to have a nice time with no uh, nothing out of the ordinary, no, no major conflict. They, they, they don't even sell it well. Like, if you're going to get a bald bloke and then put a wig on him so the dog can eat his hair. But they don't even have a good moment of it ripping off his head or anything. They don't even have a moment where he kind of reaches up, feels his bare skin and looks into camera and goes, Bleh! like, they don't sell it at all. It's so weak. <laughs> you know, you were saying how, um, oh, the, the sort of the obvious gag is like, oh, you like something good. We like something bad. Uh-huh. Yeah, it's. It's at its worst here. I think they get away with it in the Waiter! Film. Waiter! There's a fly in my soup. I ordered three flies. <laughs> no, I'll, I'll, the line that really jumped out to me to, is Gomez. He's talking to, I believe, is when, he's, when the grandparents turn up. Oh, let's get you inside before you catch warm. <laughs> <laughs> That's the God, it is, this it is bad. <laughs> Oh, it's it's so easy. It's so fucking easy. That fly line I just came out with, Alan. <laughs> it's too good. It's a bit too good. That's too good for this, isn't it? <laughs> oh, I'm thinking too hard. It's yeah. I mean, what did you rate? Have you rated the film? Because yeah, yeah. I've seen this film twice now, Alan, and I, I couldn't bring myself to watch it a third time for this podcast. Yeah, I hope you can appreciate why now. Yes. Uh, <laughs> so I I gave it a three out of ten. Oh, really? It's very generous. Yeah. 
which is the same score I gave to the TV series that followed as well, actually. I've seen a few episodes of that. I give this a 1 out of 10, and it's definitely mm. going to go onto my kind of top 10 worst films ever made list. Yeah, I mean, I think that's probably fair. I think most of the points for me are just purely I like Tim Curry and, oh, it's the Adams Family again. I like them for some reason. Yeah, so there was that revival series that was very short-lived and similarly shite. And then the Adams Family kind of died a death for yes. 10 years, 20 years. Mm-hmm. But that's good, so... They've been trying to get an animated film off the ground for the better part of at least 10 of those 20 years, and Tim Burton was going to direct a stop-start animated version at one point. Uh, and it's finally made it through production. Uh, we're on the cusp of it coming out now, and it looks bad. Well, I don't know much uh, about this new film. Why don't you tell me all about it? The visual look of the thing... Is disgusting. <laughs> uh, I'm going to put the trailer on without any sound just so I can get a visual. Here we go. They've, they've gone back to the old Charles yeah, Adams yeah. designs, but it's in a kind of hideous modern CGI DreamWorks Illumination Entertainment sort of aesthetic, and it just looks disgusting. Uh, the, the, the CGI interpretation of Gomez looks kind of like Steve Pemberton. <laughs> 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 that's that's just not what you want, is it? <laughs> it? It's everything wrong with with modern animation business practices on show, and uh, sadly, the film just looks like you know typical DreamWorks Illumination Entertainment disposable stuff. I, I I'm sure it'll be about as good as Hotel Transylvania. Which is odd because this is a this is a something with lineage, you know? It's like the, you, there's yeah. a lot to trade on here. Like you think you'd do it right. Yeah. It's not just a throwaway thing, is it? But that's it. It's like the, the the recent Grinch movie. It just looks like they're not aiming high enough with it. You know, if Tim Burton made this, I think they would have approached it as how can we make this a big, meaningful film? Mm. And it just looks like they're approaching it as how can we make a big Saturday morning cartoon in the cinema? And I'm sure it'll be watchable, but uh, I'm not really very enthusiastic about the whole endeavour. But I don't really, I don't think the Adams Family belong in cinemas, frankly. I, I if if we were to pitch our own Adams Family revival, oh go on, let's do it. I think it's simple. You do a modern TV sitcom. Like, the 90s wasn't the time to do it, because they were still in a, a three-wall sitcom era. I think nowadays you go for, like, a high-end single-camera setup. You get a good writer on. There's a lot you could do with that premise of these people are, like, you know, a bit spooky. And kooky. Yeah, but there's so much to mine there for a sitcom. There really is. There's not really an equivalent of, like, quirky, spooky family guy. You know, and just give it to anyone who wants to do it. Just phone up around Hollywood. Tina Fey, do you like the Adams <laughs> Family? Do you want to do it? All right, no. Uh, Dan Harmon, you interested? No. Uh, just keep going till you find someone who's good. Won't take you long, I'm sure. Just give us a decent sitcom. Put it on Netflix, they'll, they'll buy any old shit. <laughs> who, would you, who would you want? Mm, Who's your casting? TV. Yeah. Let's see. Yeah, yeah, TV, uh, Stephen Merchant as Lurch. <laughs> oh, God. Ricky Gervais. <laughs> Ricky Gervais as Fester. <laughs> Actually, Gervais as Gomez, Pilkington as, as Fester. <laughs> um, Warwick Davis as Cousin It. Uh, could Jason Bateman be Gomez? <laughs> the most boring he, Gomez ever. 
he's the kind of guy they'd get if this was a live action movie being made 10 years ago. It'd be Jason Bateman and Jennifer Aniston as Gomez <laughs> and Morticia. <laughs> <laughs> the worst Adam's Family film. Okay, and I'm gonna... Give me a sec. I'm gonna figure this out. Uh, Will Arnett as Uncle Fester. Boom. That's one of them. Really? Yeah, he's weird, right? I think you need someone a bit more round. Oh, okay. Well, yeah, but have you seen it? Did you not see season five of Arrested Development? <laughs> is he is he blown up with it? Um, Alison Brie as Morticia. Okay, yeah. Um, right, Alison Brie as Morticia. I like that. Ken Yong as the annoyed neighbor. Gomez. Gomez is the tough one. Hmm. Can we get a Brit over who wants to break America? Of course. What's David Mitchell? What's David Mitchell up to? <laughs> Uh, Morticia Oh, Caramia <laughs> Oh, where's my yogurt? <laughs> Morticia No, he'd be the neighbour who moves in next door He's like a, a normal Jonathan Banks as Uncle Fester Who's that? He's, he's bald uh, Mike in Breaking Bad Stop just naming bald people He's also way too old <laughs> Ross Kemp as Uncle Fester. Hey, I know we can get in as Granny. Yeah. Carol Kane. That's I'm happy with that. Yeah, I've got no problem with that. She's actually the right age now. She's that exact level doing TV sitcoms, and she's the right age for it. And she's like, I'll I'll let her have it. She for me is the definitive version of that role. Yeah. yeah. Okay, Carol Kane done. Alison Brie done. Two two kids. We'll just find some kids. Yeah, kids and sorted. newcomers. Yeah. Don't worry about them. Yeah, yeah. One out of Stranger Things. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. Well, you, it's funny you say that, Alan. You know he's playing Pugsley in the animated film. Oh no, I don't. It's the Stranger Things kid. Which one? The one you don't like. The 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 one I don't like. Yeah, the one you like. Um, Justin Long. Justin Long as Gomez Adams. Ooh. Nailed it. Oh yes, I tell you well. So, no, yeah, yeah, yeah. He Justin Long, Alison Brie, nailed it. Justin Long, yeah, you're right. Uh, did I have a fester? Will Arnett's not quite right. <laughs> Some fat bloke with a bald head. That's why. Yeah, you need like a like Jack Black, but less of a big star. So we'll do it. Yeah. Oh, oh, oh! Stephen Root. Oh, he's probably a bit too old, but you're right. He's a bit old, isn't he? <sighs> yeah. Okay. Yeah, Uh, but yeah, that sort of thing. You're going for a friendly kind of cuddly fest, aren't you? Well, you know, you know, definitely love to do it, but it'd be a bit too shit, and I'm not going to sign off on it. Yeah. Noel Fielding. (laughs) (laughs) Except he'd have to go bald. He'd have to shave off his head, and I don't think he'd agree to do it based on that. (laughs) Who's the kind of young but chubby bloke in TV at the moment who would shave his head? You need, like, Zach Galifianakis, but he's too big a star. Bald, chubby actor. I'm Googling it. Kind of lovable, lovable face. <laughs> Wallace Shaw. <laughs> <laughs> Matt Lucas. They're the two that have come up. Hey, I tell you what, Matt Lucas, Matt, break, going to break America. Matt Lucas would actually be pretty spot on for this, wouldn't he? He's the right level of actor, he's the right, you know, he does a bit of work in America. Yeah, go and get a nice big American contract. He'd, he'd probably bring a hell of a lot 
of. Uh, Do you know what he would be actually really good at that? He'd be pl- he'd knock it out of the park. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You know what? Let's go with it. I'm happy with that. Justin Long, Alison Brie, Matt Lucas. What supporting character that comes in as a guest will David Williams play then? <laughs> uh, he'll play the headmaster <laughs> at the school who's concerned about something Pugsley and Wednesday have done. Yeah, he'll play it really badly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Um, do you want to know who's playing the roles in the animated film? Uh, go on, then. It's... It's it's much worse than our casting we've just done. Okay, go on. All right, so so if you were casting this, who would you who would you get in as Gomez? This is just as voice though, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, just as the voice. Well, if I was doing so it, want, I'd just hire you want, some you want professional a big voice star. actors, isn't it? <laughs> but yeah, if you want star yeah. names, uh, Will Smith. <laughs> I think I'd go for. Uh, I think that that's who I'd go to Steve Carell for. See what he could bring to it. Uh, they've gone with Oscar Isaac. Hmm. Makes sense. Keeping the Latin. Uh, heritage going. Is, what, is this after his work on the uh, which film was it? Where one of the X Men films where he was the Apocalypse? Yeah, you know he can do good voices. Morticia Adams. Who would you? Who would you get him? Um, Christina Ricci. Oh, I like it. They've gone big here. They've gone very big. Mm. I think I'd go for Angelina Jolie. Yeah, I can see that. Uh, they've gone for Charlize Theron. Hmm. Very good actor. Be fine. Then, as 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 I said before, we have Finn Wolfhard from Stranger Things as Pugsley. Mm. And can you name a sort of? I mean, she's not even a child actor now. I think she's twenty something. But uh, can you name a young girl actor who they might have got in as Wednesday? There's basically two or three go to people you get to play young girls. Uh, no, no. I would have gone with Sophia Lillis from It. Uh, they've gone with Chloe Grace Moretz. Oh God, yeah, cool. I guess it was between her and uh, Dakota Fanning. <laughs> they went this way instead. I'd definitely go with Dakota Fanning. What about Fester? Who's who's Fester? They've gone with Nick Kroll. Who's that? Who man? is a? He's like a. I mean, he's a comedian, really. He's he's got quite a yeah. He's got he's got the right kind of vocal quality. He does quite a lot of voiceover work. He's he's got a kind of quite a rounded kind of fun way of talking. He kind of when he does a voice, he kind of sounds like this a lot. So yeah, that's actually pretty good. I like that. That's yeah. Hmm? Go on. Can you guess who's playing cousin it? Um. Yes. It'll be Frank Welker. No. <laughs> Go go as absurd as you possibly could. Cousin it goes. That's how he sounds. I don't know if he's going to sound like that in this film. I've got a feeling he's going to sound a bit more for shizzle man nizzle dog. Snoop Dogg. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Snoop Dogg is cousin it. That's so. That's must be casting. surely just for the purposes of like, one gag where he talks and it's not doesn't sound like you think he's yeah. Uh, so that's that's the level we're working at now with the Adamses, the Adams family. The end. <laughs> the end. Adams, Adams, Adams family quote to go out on. What's a famous quote? John John Quincy Adams. No, never mind. Bye. <laughs> or, or 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 as they say in the Adams family household, hello. <laughs> it's the opposite. You get it. Bad bye. We, that's what they'd say. We hope we hope not to see you again next week. For another terrible episode of Ascending Returns. <laughs>